0: Hello and welcome to the SAMOPS Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military from all branches of service and various specialties. Today we are fortunate to have Dr. Ianta uh, with us today. She is a second year pediatric resident at San Diego Naval Hospital and a research and the research chair for RAM Ops. We are talking to her today about Navy medicine, pediatric residency, and hopefully a little bit about RAM Ops and research. Welcome Dr. Yanta. how are you?
1: I'm good, how are you?
0: I'm doing all right. Of course, as we already said in the introduction, kind of wanted to talk to you about, you know, being a pediatric resident, working within Navy medicine as a resident. And then, of course, we definitely want to hit uh, a little bit about the conference, because I know you have some good uh, details for us on that, at least from the research side of the house. But first, just so that our listeners get a better idea of who you are, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, where you went to medical school, um... You know, do you have any family? You're more than welcome to um, not answer that. Some people are kind of uncomfortable about family, but it would be good to just get some basic background. Where are you from? That kind of thing.
1: Okay, yeah. So I uh, went to medical school at a school with the longest name in the history of long names. Uh, It's uh, Western University of Health Sciences, College of Osteopathic Medicine of the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) Um, So COMP Northwest for short, But yes, it's a long name, and most people, unless you're a DO, have definitely never heard of it. Um, uh, Let's see. You asked me if I have a family. Yes, I have a family. So I have a three-year-old little uh, boy who is the light of my life, and I have a spouse that makes the workings of being a pediatrics resident actually feasible with a small child. Um, I did my intern year at Walter Reed, um, in Bethesda, Maryland, and then I went out to the fleet for two years uh, in Gulfport, Mississippi. I was with the CBs, and then I uh, this year have restarted my pediatrics residency. So I am currently in the midst of resiturn which is the lovely reintegration into whatever residency program you're in after operational tour to like remind you of what kind of oversight you actually are going to have and then relearn whatever medicine you forgot because you weren't doing um, that particular specialty. It's uh, an interesting experience because I'm not an intern, but you're working like an intern, but then you're not really treated like an intern. So it's one of those um, weird little nuances of, I think it's of Navy medicine in general. Um, so that's a little bit about me.
0: Working with the CBs, that sounds like uh, it was, that had to be a little bit of an adventure. Do you want to comment a little bit more on that? How was your experience?
1: So um, working with the Seabees uh, was definitely a little bit of an experience and definitely an adventure. So I kind of had the trifecta of not so great things that aligned. Um, We had COVID, we had a CEO that wasn't particularly, I don't know what the right word is, but he just wasn't the greatest CEO. And then I had a deployment that got extended on both ends. So my experience with the CBs is not, uh, not really what most people will, will have with them. There were some very challenging times that I had with, with the CBs, so i just um i don't want to put a bad taste in anyone's mouth so i will refrain from (laughs) giving my full uh full um transparent picture of what my gmo tour was i will say that uh, being a gmo made me a better clinician in that i was more willing to make decisions when i um When I was, like, with people, it made me use my resources instead of just relying on uh, my attending, but I also utilized referrals a lot.
0: Okay. So, tell me, uh, since we won't comment too much on the uh, GMO side of the house, uh, tell me a little bit about why you chose to do uh, pediatrics.
1: Yeah. Um, So... (laughs) When I was a kid, my family used to ask me what I wanted to do and I always told them I wanted to be a pediatrician. I never said I wanted to be a doctor. I always said I wanted to be a pediatrician. And so um, I kind of had a circuitous route to get here. I applied when I was in undergrad and didn't get in, was told my numbers were not good enough um, and that I probably shouldn't go to medical school. So I went uh, to Washington, D.C. from Minnesota, and I started doing some research for the Army and the Navy. Uh, it was low-level blast research, and it was with a uh, pretty, um, net, like, blast, it was blast overpressure, and there wasn't any, like, other associated injuries normally, because it was just, it's a, it was very, like, um, strict kind of blast that was happening around. It was training evolutions, things like that. You could like control all the environment. But while I was doing that, I realized that I enjoyed research. However, the fact that I didn't get to make an impact on their everyday lives uh, was something that I, I kind of, it didn't feel completely fulfilled, if that makes sense. And so I was like, okay, well, I really do want to be a doctor. And at that point I was like, and I want to give back to this community that I've been working in for the last couple of years with the military members. And when I was talking to most of them, because they had all deployed at some point or other, they had all said that one of the things that really helped them on deployment was knowing that their families um, were taken care of back home. And so to me, it sounded like a pretty good way of doing both things that I wanted to do, give back to the military community and also um, be a pediatrician. So I decided that I would not only apply back to medical school, I would apply for the HPSP scholarship. So long story short, uh, through going into medical school, I kept saying I wanted to be a pediatrician and everyone kept telling me to keep an open mind and I'd probably change my mind and all these things. And I was pretty adamant that I maybe changed my mind on what within PEDS I wanted to do, but that my patient population was not going to change. And lo and behold, we are several years later, and I still want to take care of the tiny humans.
0: So in choosing your specialty, now that you're here and you're doing your uh, resiturnship, I think it's what you called it, uh, how, would, <laughs> how would you de- describe the being in that experience? Um, what do you like about it? And maybe what are some of the drawbacks or challenges that you have either learned to overcome or are working on overcoming?
1: Um, so I really still really like the patient population. I love the fact that not only are you taking care of the kid, you're also, you do a lot of reassurance to the parents. Um, one of the things for me, I don't, I don't do well with adults uh, because I feel like a lot of times Their injuries or their illnesses or whatever complaint they have that they are coming into my office for are brought on by themselves, as opposed to children who just don't know any better. So you can't really blame them for whatever is going on. And then I also like about one of the things I like about kids is like, even if they're super, super sick, they still send, they still want to play they still want to go to school they still want to do the things that they like doing and they're not trying to get out of things as opposed to when you're a GMO and your sick call is lines and lines deep because they just don't want to go to work or they don't want to go to PT or things like that so you start to um, the innocence of children and their inability to like be conniving which granted you have adolescents that are entirely conniving but that's beside the point um, is, is refreshing. So that's been probably one of the best things about coming back into pediatrics was that I got to re-remember why I liked ped so much. Um, some of the challenges that I'm facing right now is just relearning pediatrics because I did two years of 18 to 35 year olds for the most part where they were relatively healthy. So I didn't really get to see a lot of sick. Um, So the relearning sick versus not sick. And then also with every specialty, there's always gonna be parts that you like and parts that you don't like. And I personally am more of an inpatient medicine kind of person. But with that, I also prefer to be in the NICU. Um, And so when I'm around well well children a lot, I get, I don't want to say the word like bored, but I get bored because I don't want sick kids, but I don't like, I don't want them to be sick because I don't want kids to be sick, but I also want to be the one taking care of them. So when I don't have the physiology, um, and the problem solving that has to be done, I just, it, the days go a lot, a lot longer.
0: I like, I, I like to call that at least in my head, the doctor's conundrum where, uh, it, you don't want people to be sick or hurt. You just want to be there when it's happening so that you can be a part of it, because that's kind of what we go to school for. So it does create that conundrum or like a, almost like a cognitive dissonance uh, between those two thoughts. Exactly. So um, in line with that, what advice is so because this is, of course, the Student Association of Military Osteopathic Physicians and Surgeons, not necessarily the resident or the attending level of the organization. Um, students that are interested in Navy pediatrics, what advice do you have for those students and how can they make themselves competitive for a pediatric residency?
1: Uh, that's a great question. So, one of the things that I would say is reach out to uh, people that are in pediatrics. Um, if you, the more people that you talk to, the more uh, connections that you make, and I can't. I cannot um, emphasize that enough. It's it's very helpful uh, to just you know make connections and continue to network regardless. Uh, to make yourself competitive for Peds, just I um, be yourself is really the the best way I can put it. If you can show on your audition rotations or in your interview that you're excited about pediatrics, that's like half the battle. Um, because I feel, I feel like really a lot of, especially military medicine, tends to be a lot more about fit, uh, mostly because it's such a small community and pretty much no matter what, you're going to end up working with pretty much everybody else at some point or another. So I found that really helpful. One of the um, tips that I got, which I know may not be the easiest thing to do right now with the whole COVID thing, um, was to make sure that you interview in person at all of the possible possible programs that you're um, able to apply to. And uh, also to try and do as many like audition rotations as possible, particularly in the Navy, because there's only three places that you can do uh, most of the specialties. So the recommendation is to try and do a month long or even two week long block in all three places.
0: Okay. So is there anything that you particularly wish you knew as a medical student that now you do know uh, going into all of this, whether that's just Navy medicine or pediatrics in particular?
1: Um, So I think it would, it's, I don't know if it's um, Navy medicine. I think it's just big Navy in general. So my biggest thing that I want to implore on people is no matter how much you love the Navy, the Navy does not love you back. You are just a cog in the wheel. So, so if you're going to kill yourself day in and day out for the job, it's not worth it. Get some work-life balance. Like, yes, treat your patients. Yes, do the things you need to do. But don't get bogged down on all the admin. Don't try and take on 100 different collaterals. Just make sure that you're you know, finding, finding what you need to. Because being a physician is hard enough adding on being in the military is also extra challenging.
0: Yeah. Being uh, actually prior enlisted Navy, that's that's what kind of makes me chuckle is because it it makes me think back to that culture where you kind of get, or I don't, I don't know for all branches, but I do know for the Navy that collateral duties kind of like, come up left and right. And you want to say yes to them because that like makes you look better and stuff like that, but you definitely do need to find balance. And I also chuckled at the idea of, you know, that the Navy doesn't love you back and it, it makes sense, right? This it's the needs of the military. They're trying to accomplish a mission. It's not that uh, there's something personal involved in any of that. It's just that this is the big bureaucratic machine trying to keep itself moving. So not necessarily that it's, a negative on the military. is just understanding that that is a part of the process of serving.
1: Exactly. If you don't have, no one else is going to advocate for you. You have to advocate for yourself. So that's one of the other big leg like, take home messages that I would give.
0: All right. So, um, in terms of your residency training, um, I don't know if you've, if you do, or if you have done a lot of away rotations at other hospitals, are there agreements in place for these different uh, programs for pediatrics and uh, San Diego's Naval Hospital? Uh, what does that look like, the training in in terms of over the next couple of years for you?
1: Um, right, so I can tell talk a little bit about Walter Reed and then also a little bit about San Diego. So at Walter Reed, you do uh, away blocks um, your intern year at Children's National uh, for emergency medicine and also for the ward there and then in your second year you do the PICU at ANOVA which is one of the big hospitals in Northern Virginia and then you also um, get to do some nursery time in uh, one of the one of the other hospitals around there because you um, The census for deliveries is a little bit low at Walter Reed. So they have a lot of um, good options to do a lot of things offsite and they have agreements in place and you can do research over at the NIH, which is also a pretty good um, little connection that they have out there. Here in San Diego, I can't speak to intern year because I didn't do my intern year here. I do know that they do a ward over at Rady's which is the Children's Hospital here in San Diego. And then um, this year, I'm doing a bunch of my electives. So I'm doing like pediatric radiology and community peds and something else, uh, emergency medicine, all at Rady's. But a lot of, they also have a decent amount um, of those outpatient specialties right inside the hospital. And then third year, you do pick you over at, Um, CHOC, which is Children's Hospital of Orange County, which is one of the busiest uh, PICUs in the area. Um, And so that uh, is an exciting rotation for anybody that actually likes ICU medicine. But from what I've been told is it's it's very different than our little small hospital with our six bed unit (laughs) to get over to the, the PICU in Orange County.
0: Fair enough. Um, I, I think a lot of residents, it seems to be, uh, from the residents that I've talked to in the interviews that we've done, seems to be a very split opinion on this. And I'm curious, for you, do you consider the uh, offsite rotations to be a positive thing or more of a negative things in terms of it? it these, uh, whether it's being away from home or it's um, not really seeing the same kind of acuity or complexity within the hospital itself? And um, or maybe it has something to do with uh, what the expectations are when you finish residency.
1: Um, So I really enjoyed all of my offsite rotations so far. I found uh, at um, for my intern year at Children's National, we actually saw more complexity and more acuity um, there than we did at Walter Reed. Not all the time, obviously, but it felt they were they had a bigger hospital, and so there were more kids that went in, went through there in general. So you just saw more. The one thing that I think some residents struggle with is the depending on which program you're in within the military. In general, the census tends to be a bit lower, particularly in pediatrics. So you have more, you tend to have more downtime to, during the day to like actually come up with your plan and kind of work with your team and or your attendings and, and kind of figure that out. And you have time to, to do the legwork, whereas in some of the outside hospitals, it feels like all you're doing is the scut work. And so I know that that can be, can be a challenge for some people. I did not feel like I was doing a bunch of scut work when I was at children's national. I have not done any away blocks here, so I can't speak to radies at this point.
0: Okay. Um, No, that's, that's more than enough information. I think, and you know, all of this is really just medical students trying to understand like what's going to be a good residency program for me. What's going to be the right specialty for me. You know, this is what the podcast is really made for, but I did want to touch on, um, you had mentioned the NIH and having connections to research over there, and I, I wondered if you had any elaborations and maybe if there was any ties related to uh, you being the research chair uh, for RAM Ops.
1: So um, for the NIH part, uh, I didn't actually work with NIH when I was at Walter Reed. I just know that there are a bunch of people that have funding and some of the, I think, like infectious disease and Some of the other um, outpatient special subspecialties definitely link up with NIH since it's right across the street. So there's a lot of um, information sharing between them and there's lots of projects. So I didn't. I didn't do research as an intern, except for my QI project. I was still writing papers on the stuff I did prior to medical school. So I'm probably not actually the best person to talk to about (laughs) finding a project (laughs) your intern year. Um, I am currently getting a project up and and running here um, as a second year. But as for the research chair part, Uh, Apparently, when you have a lot of research experience, everybody taps you to continue helping other people with research, so I got tagged to be part of the research uh, committee for the conferences the last three years now, and this year, it's just me by myself because my co-chair is now the president of Raymop, so she doesn't have enough time to help out with the conference um, research part. So the, for a little plug for that is there's three categories. So there's a category for um, original research. There's a category for a case report or case study. And then there's also a category for like a QI uh, project. So quality improvements. So all of those are cat, um, different um, subsections within the, the conference, or uh, within the research conference part. And then the deadline for the abstracts is December 1st. And then January thirty first is when the posters are due. So the there was a link sent out on Facebook and I believe on Instagram, and um, that would have more information. Otherwise, uh, you can email the Ray Mops. There's a, re, a research email. I don't have that email at the top of my head at the moment. Or you can just email me um, at s e e o n t a at gmail.com
0: so just just to reiterate that because you kind of got uh scattered or digitized in your voice there for a second uh can you repeat the email one more time yes
1: s e e o n t a at gmail.com
0: Perfect. And then what we can also do is that other email that you were talking about, we can have that put in the show notes when you find it and you can just email that to me. Perfect. Uh, Beyond that, I did have a question. So we have an increasing uh, number of students that I've found that aren't actually DO students that are listening to the podcast, which I find amazing uh, to be able to have that kind of like... discussion and sharing of resources, would an MD student be able to attend the conference and potentially present research there as well?
1: So that's a good question. I I don't know the answer to that question at the moment. I believe we are working on an avenue in which they can attend the conferences, but I still believe that right now they cannot.
0: Okay. Well, we can but certainly... I- Uh Sorry,
1: I could be completely wrong on that. That would be a question for somebody more high ranking than me. (laughs) No worries, I
0: can always reach out. Um, Our previous interview was with uh, Dr. Loftsgarden. I'm sure she can uh, maybe fill us in on that. So we'll, we'll hold off for now. Um, Okay. So beyond that, is there anything else that you would like to plug? I like to just uh, sometimes give the ending as an opportunity for you to share any uh, potential insights, things that you feel us medical students should know, whether that's about SAMOPS, RAMOPS, AMOPS, the conference, or pediatrics, Navy medicine, or just medicine at large.
1: So two things. One, just make sure that, like I said earlier, make sure you continue to grow your connections. Um, Ask questions, reach out to people. Uh, People that have come before you will almost always be willing to help you out because someone helped us get here. So we're willing to help you get to where we're going. Um, And then just for any of the females, if you want to talk to somebody about having a family and being in the military, deploying and uh, being in like, you know, in residency and medical school and stuff, just feel free to reach out to me. Cause I, I know the struggle firsthand. Um, so definitely I'm here to support anybody that, that wants to, to talk about
0: that. Great. All right. Well, that wraps up our episode with Dr. Ianta today. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your experiences with us, future military physicians. For those of you listening, if you have any recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, feel free to email samopseducationchair@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in.